He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Each month, try to give us a little bit of a different emphasis as we can think through the work of Christ and the reminders that we get to partake of it. It's not about turkeys this month, I promise you. For a lot of families, it will rightly be about thankfulness and the things that they have either lost or have been granted back. Can we turn up just a little? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I can hear it. I know it's in there. There we go. How about that? There we go. <laughs> when I start getting this one, I know it's time. Yeah. Senility, old, old age will do that to you, Daryl. <laughs> the things that we can be thankful for, the things that we can rejoice in, but more importantly for us as the one body, a reminder that God's people have not been forgotten, God's kingdom has not been forsaken, and we can partake. So what I would like for you guys to do is something a little different than we've done the last couple of months. Still just work one aisle at a time. We'll just work on one table until we, we run out, and then we'll, we'll figure it out. But right now, wafers and cup are at the same table to start with. If you would, go by rows, grab your wafer, grab your cup, return to your seat, and please wait. Our goal today is we want to partake of this meal as one body because that is what we are in Christ. So, again, we'll just start first row. So, we will, not we are. So, I know, Vern's ready. Vern's ready to go. So, we'll pray. There you go. We'll pray. Get started one row at a time. Just wait for the row in front of you to return to their seat, and then you can go in that way. Don't have to worry about everybody bumping into each other. And then when we're done, I'll have another uh, a second prayer, and then we'll partake of the meal together. Make sense? All right, let's pray then. Lord, we thank you. By your work, we are your people. And if we are your people, then we are a people. You have brought us together. You have made us yours. What we could not have accomplished or understood, you have delivered, and we thank you for that. We ask, Lord, during this time, you would remind us that as we walk, we would walk in love. And as we walk in love, we would walk faithfully, building up one another 
carrying on until the day of completion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We thank, you. we thank you for the reminders of your body which bears the marks of our sin, of your blood poured out for the new covenant, that which redeems, that which makes us whole. Again, Lord, we ask that as we continue to carry on day by day, that you would strengthen us, that you would remind us that we are not alone, but that as you walk with us, you have provided us with a people and a kingdom as we walk together, persevering one another until that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
I think you guys can handle not making a mess, so you just put your cups somewhere on the floor, and this thing won't behave, and we'll pick them up at the end of the service, but now I ask that you'd stand and sing as we continue in worship. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. I think I know what this microphone is doing, so as long as I don't elbow it, we should be all right. What are the odds of that? I've even got it, like, taped down and stuff, so I'm trying here. Um, couple of things. One, you will notice there are bunches of backpacks. These are, uh, these are mostly completed. We've got a couple folks doing the last bit of the shopping, but this is a lot of the stuff that was brought in over the course of the last few months, so thank you, 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 thank you. We have a couple of calls out to a couple of ministries that we know have use for them. We'll find out how many they can use. But last count, do we? it went right out of my head. What do we know, ballpark? 65. So, woo! So be glad, be happy. Um, information for what we'll be starting over the winter is already in your bulletin. We'll explain more of that next week. Just be happy about what we've got going on this week. Um, Mike and Jan are not here this morning. <sighs> they're misbehaving. No, they are not sick for once. Mike is not sick, but his son is. Um, Michael, Mike and Jan's, um, is that their oldest? Michael the oldest? Yeah. Uh, has COVID, and they were around them last weekend, so they're just being safe. 
They don't, they're, they don't have any symptoms. Mike says, I have a slight headache, but Mike has a slight headache eight days out of the week anyway, so you, you, can't, you can't go by that. So as of right now, they are both symptom-free and are probably fine. They're just being extra cautious, so that's why they are staying home. So just be in prayer for them and the family. Uh, Michael, Mike reported to me that Michael had a rough couple of days, but flu-like symptoms, you know, headaches, light fever, not much you can do about it except work through it. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> did that for a couple of days, and now they're on the mend. So at this point, it is what it is. Um, anything else I'm forgetting? Uh-oh. Ah, benevolent. Yes, 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 yes. I, I forget this now. I don't know why I forget this now. I stopped writing it down. Um, communion, first Sunday of the month, that was the, uh, normally a time we set aside for a benevolent fund. We will not post people at the door, one, because we don't want to post people at the door, and two, because Mike's not here to do it, because Mike would post himself at the door. You know that. But what we did do is there are envelopes marked back there by the offering plate that are big, giant B on them. If you would like to contribute to, to the benevolent fund, use those envelopes. That way nobody misses that you would like it to go to that. Our benevolent fund is something that we maintain throughout the year. If there are various grocery needs or electric bill or gas bill, things, just various things throughout the year, as they come along, we are able to take care of them. That is what that fund is, is for. When you get your um, budget information each month at our business meeting, the benevolent fund is usually listed in there as a running tally for the year so you can see how it's doing, what's going on, so you can be informed on all of that. So, yeah, envelopes right there. They're marked. Use those. Anything else? Oh, the sun went behind a cloud. I can see you guys now. Otherwise, the way you and Jeff sit, you sit right in front of the windows, and when the glare comes through, I just see shapes, because it's like, I'm blind. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we'll remember to get it. So. All right, if there is nothing else, this is going to be a fun one today. <laughs> All right. God chose the people he would save before he created the world. <laughs> yeah. See, that's just picking a fight right there. I, I will accept true and false for that one because that would depend on what your starting foundations are theologically. So there are groups within churches that would be known as Reformed groups. They would say that that statement is true. Your more Arminian groups would say that that statement is false. You are not a heretic either way. You're going to be wrong because one of those groups must be right, but this is not a top-level, you're-going-to-hell-if-you're-wrong issue. Now, with that said, you see this in the divide. Of those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 41% said that statement was true, and 45% said that statement was false. <laughs> Which means what? About, um, about 9% went, I don't know. Now, if you remove denominations and church attendance, 27% said that statement was true, and 50% said that statement was false. Which means there's a quarter of the people going, ooh. So, now again, this is not one of those issues that I'm going to like throw things at you and call down fire and brimstone, but this is one of those issues that you should have an answer for, and you should be able to defend it from Scripture. So if you say, no, God has not chosen a people, you should be able to explain why you think that with multiple Scriptures from the Old and New Testament. If you say, yes, God has chosen a people from the foundation of the world, then you should be able to argue that point with multiple quotations from both the Old and New Testament. This is how your faith works. You don't just go, well, I like that one, so I'm going to go with it. That's how we end up becoming Jehovah's Witnesses, because we don't know what we believe. We want to be able to tell people what we believe and be able to defend what we believe. All right. Churches, this is a good one. All right. Inhale. Exhale. I got to prepare Jonathan for this one. Churches must provide entertaining worship services if they want to be effective. 
<laughs> you knew that was coming. Of those that attend evangelical churches once a week, 32% of them said that statement was true. 63% said that statement was false. <laughs> Good for them. This is, this is one of those quandary things, because if you read the popular wisdom, what will the popular wisdom tell you? Well, church has got to be fun and exciting and entertaining because people get bored just sitting there, which I always ask, and explain to me how millions of people watch golf each week. I'm serious. On television. It's like, oh. And Jeff is like, I can do that without falling asleep even. They're like, oh, he hit the ball. Go team. Now, I enjoy golf. I like playing golf. You know what I don't like doing? Watching golf. I, I just can't do it. No, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't care who's playing. I don't care how exciting it is. I'm not watching golf. I'll catch the highlights later. So now here's a fun one. If you remove denominational requirements and attendance, 37% said that statement was true. 49% said it was false. So all we really did was add more people to the uh, category. But this is something that mu that's very important. And again, this is something you should settle in your mind. If you think the church must be entertaining in and of itself, you have a bad foundation for what you think about church. Now, should church be as boring as humanly possible? No. No. And you know how I, you know I don't believe that? Have you met me for like five minutes? I, I try to make this entertaining a little bit. I try to make this memorable. We, we have fun when it's appropriate to have fun. But when it is time to be serious and learn things, what do we do? We get serious and we learn things. We can have fun while we do it, but the goal is that we grow as disciples. There is an adage that we must remember. What you win them with is what you keep them with. If you're here because I put on a good show, we're doomed. We're doomed because the show can't last forever. I am going to break a hip. I am going to throw my back out. It's something bad's going to happen eventually. If you're here because we're growing in our faith and we're being made stronger as disciples, see, now we got something that lasts, that grows, that builds itself over 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We can't be entertained into the kingdom, but we can learn and grow as we progress to the kingdom, and that's the goal. All right. God is unconcerned with my day-to-day -day decisions. <laughs> now, you know how they should have phrased this one? They should have phrased this one differently. They should have said, God does not care who wins the football game. So, because that's a better way to phrase that question. True or false, God doesn't care who wins the football game. See, you say true to that one, but what you just said is God doesn't care about my day-to-day -day decisions. God cares who wins the football game. God cares about everything. <laughs> he does, and see, this is why he cares, though, because... See, I would agree with you, but we're not having that. Hey, stop, stop. We're not going down that road. We're not having that because we'll be here all day and we're not going there. That's one for Sunday school another day. I jokingly say this so because when somebody goes, well, I just thank God for, for the gifts that he's given me to play football. And you go, well, God didn't care. There's, there's Christians on the other team. Yes, and God wanted those Christians to lose. You know why? Because they lost. There are no accidents in God's kingdom, which means there are no accidents when they drop the ball, miss the field goal. All things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. All things. He is working in all of human life. There is some benefit. You ready for this? There is some benefit to the Bears not winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> really? Other than, other than Jonathan just enjoys it as a Packers fan. 
So, so when Parky double doinks the kick off the uprights that he should have made 75 times out of 75, there is some eternal benefit to that because there are no accidents in God's kingdom. <laughs> and it's not even just about you. It's about all of the people in his kingdom. Now, I say that because 14% of those who attend evangelical churches once a week said that statement was true. And 84% said it was false. Now, if you remove denominational uh, affiliations and attendance, 25% said it was true, and 63% said it was false, which means there's about 15, 20% of people who went, I don't know. And here's the problem. You notice how when we get to these day-to-day questions, the number of people who say, I don't know, keeps going up? That's the problem. We should, again, be able to say, this is what I believe, and then the more important aspect is, this is why I believe it. If we're not doing that work, we are not progressing and growing as disciples. We are not fulfilling the commission. We are not walking in lockstep towards the kingdom. Doesn't mean you all have to come down with the exact same answer, but on some things. But it does mean you should come down with an answer and a defense. Always be ready to make, make defense for the hope that lies within you. Take every thought captive to the word of God. Not some of your thoughts, all of them. So, Having fun yet? (laughs) All right. Anything else I'm forgetting one last time? In that case, I will get out of the way. The answers to last week's are in there. The answers to this week will be in there next week. I will get out of the way. We will continue to stand and sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ the royal master leads against the foe forward into Marching as to war With the cross of Jesus Going on before Like a mighty army Lutheran Church of God Brothers, we are treading where the saints have tried. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward, then, 
Sorry about the song, guys. I messed that up in the computer, apparently. Thought I had all the verses in there, and apparently I didn't. <laughs> We're probably blessed by that. So, with that said, sorry, not their fault, my fault, I put it in there. Back to the salt mines. Dun, da, da, da. And if you know what movie that is actually from, then you'll know that we should all be sad today. If you didn't notice the, notice the news yesterday, Sean Connery died. Isn't this the worst year ever? <laughs> That's terrible news, but anyway. But yes, that comes from uh, from Russia with love. Is it back to the salt mines? So we are returning to the plagues. We are back in the book of Exodus. Now, you will notice we have a long section. Sorry, <laughs> we will get through it. There's just no good place. This is one of those places in the Old Testament where there's just nowhere to cut this. So we will get through this in large chunks because it's you know, the only way you can kind of deal with this because there's a lot of explanation in there. Now, we have had six plagues thus far. If you'll remember, the sixth plague from two weeks ago was the first time God had directly attacked the people, the plague of boils. Everything else had been indirect, something that affected their way of life, but not them directly. That's going to continue. We are going to continue that escalation of the plagues here with the seventh plague today. Now, Lots of details to see, lots of big pictures we want to catch, but warning, consistent theme as we go through this, I do not want you guys to miss the forest for the trees. So as we kind of cover the big overarching ideas, make sure we're catching the small instances of them as we go through. It's one of the ways we build theology. We don't just go, well, this section is about this, and then we say that and we move on. And No, we actually explain it from the details. So big picture, yes, but we want to be able to see the details as they support that picture. Does that make sense? All right. If so, then we will read all of this, Exodus 9, 13 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day that it was founded until now. 
Now, therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent hail, I'm sorry, sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer. That you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripen late. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again, hardened his heart, and his, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Whew. Told you, there's a lot in there, but where do you break that up in the middle of the story without, you know, messing us up for two weeks? Nobody wants a cliffhanger sermon. Nobody, least of all me. So let's rewind and make some sense of this. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. And you know that was before even the coffee was served, right? Because nothing good in the morning happens before coffee. Nothing. It's like when you sit down, and this is, this is my, my fear because it happens about five or six times a year. You sit down, I turn on the weather, and I sit down with my cup, and then I hear footsteps. And they're not Camerons. Oh, no. One of them is awake already. <gasps> no. No. Now, why early in the morning? This is important. See, I can make light of this, but this matters. Go, uh, go to Isaiah 45 again. We'll come back to this in a minute. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Is there anyone else that Pharaoh can turn to? No. Is there any other power that will stand up to this? No. Will there be any peace for Pharaoh as long as he is the enemy of God? No. Other thing, what other official business is getting done this day? Like, How often does somebody walk in and just give your nation a death sentence? And you're inclined to believe him because he's kind of been doing this a couple of times now. Like for the rest of the morning, everything that was on the docket, I was going to give the key to the city to this guy, we were going to go dedicate a new park, no. All of that is canceled. 
We are done. The focus will be upon who? God and the work that he is doing, which is where it is supposed to be. Hebrews 12. Since we have received, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Christian, when you wake up in the morning, should your day consist of, I need coffee? It does often, but it shouldn't. You know what it should consist of in the morning? I need Jesus. We don't think like this often. We should. We need to. What should be the reason why we do what we do? It is Christ. What is the justification for what we are doing? It is Scripture. What is the reason we are doing it in the way that they are, we are doing it? Same things. This is a lesson being taught to Egypt and to Israel as well, because they need it also. So go to him early in the morning and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. I mean, there's the proof for everything I just said. Why is God doing this? So that you will know. We are going through the Egyptian pantheon of gods. We are going through the Egyptian way of life. We are going through everything so that you will know when I have done what I have promised that I did it, no one was able to stop me, and that you should have been here the entire time. Verse 15. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. That just changed a little bit, didn't it? See, that sounds like a threat. What is that? No, it's not a promise, because threats are kind of promises, too. You get one theological word to describe that. What is it? Ah, see, that's a threat. No, it's not. That's mercy. That's grace on display. If I had put forth my hand and struck you, hadn't God struck him six times? Yeah. But if I put my forth my hand and I wanted to wipe you out, what would you have been? You'd be wiped out. The fact that you are not wiped out is because of what? The mercy and grace of God. Remember the example. We think of God's wrath against sin wrongly. We think of wrath because, look, language does change over time, much to our chagrin. And, and I don't mean like the weird language that your grandkids speak that you don't understand. I mean like just general softening and harshening of words. Wrath does not mean without control and all-consuming the way we describe God. See, we have a tendency, again, to think of God's wrath as your dad driving the car, swinging at kids in the back seat, like, I'm going to hit one of you. That's why it was terrible to be an only child, because you can't go, there's no one else to aim at. It's just you. See, see, you wonder why I am the way that I am. No, that's how we think of wrath. It's just anger. I'm going to destroy something. No, God's wrath is measured, controlled, and it is pinpoint in its efficacy and scope. God doesn't just smite for the fun of it. He smites. That's why I use that silly example. Because he smushes what he means to smush. And there's your example. New Testament idea, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, 
so that you will be able to endure it. Remember what God is doing here with Egypt. He is leaving no doubt. When Israel leaves, by the power of God, there will be no question who did it, why he did it, and how he did it. But with that leaving of no doubt, there will be great judgment, there will be great wrath, but there will also therefore be great mercy and great grace. As the wrath of God grows, the grace of God grows as well. This is one of the reasons why I point out to you that as bad as this world may seem to be, it is a blessing upon you as the Christian. The darker the darkness tries to get what happens to the shining light that is within it. You know, the human eye is capable of seeing candlelight on a dark place at about 10 miles. <laughs> well, at most of us. <laughs> you don't think about that because we don't see as many things as we want to because we live in a, a, a technological world. We have lights where? Everywhere. Get out in the middle of nowhere. Turn all the lights off on a dark night. You can see campfires for miles. I always wonder, like, you ever remember those westerns where, like, the, the homestead is there and, and uh, you know, John Wayne or Robert Mitchum, whoever it is, has got to leave and go off someplace. And you watch him walk off across the prairie and, like, five minutes later he's gone. Realize that in that world, they don't watch that man leave for a week. Because on foot, what's he going to cover? <laughs> I mean, how many miles a day is he really realistically going to walk? 15, 20? You'd literally be able to see his campfire that night. Like the kids looking at the window, oh, there's dad. <laughs> and then the next night as he walks along and he hadn't crossed the mountains yet, you'd be, oh, there's dad. Look, yeah, there's a campfire. And there's, like, you'd be able to watch him leave for days. Like, oh, there is, you can follow him along because there's nothing else. And you can see that when it is dark, light is bright. Christian, welcome to your world. The grace of God grows in the midst of his wrath and his judgment. It has to. Because in the midst of his wrath and his judgment are his people shining their light. There's the kingdom growing, progressing towards its final place. There are, there are those that are being strengthened, those that are being pruned. All are therefore, though, being prepared for the final kingdom. It is part of day in and day out life. So as dark as it gets, we go, I don't care. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It doesn't go out. It can't go out. Who provides the light? God does. Therefore, it is there. You're seeing an example of that here in Exodus. As the judgment of God is escalating against the Egyptians, as the attacks are growing greater and greater, what are you seeing with the mercy of God? It too is growing greater and greater. Verse 16 continues this point. Indeed, for this reason I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. This is your example. I told you we'd go back to Isaiah 45, so let's do that. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge, who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare, set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. God is kingdom building. 
he is kingdom building. Has been since the garden. And remember how that building of God works. Romans chapter 8. Quoted a minute ago. We'll read it now and, and the rest of it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now time out. Don't stop there on the coffee mug. What is the purpose of God? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. These whom he predestined, he called. And these whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So we call the golden chain of redemption. The kingdom that God is building is amongst the people that he is saving out of the midst of this dark world. And he will save. He has called them out. He has justified them. And since he has justified them, that is fancy language for he has declared them not guilty, he will do what? He will glorify them. He will make them pure and holy in the end. He will preserve and persevere his people. This is why we have to be reminded that we are the people of God in Christ. Because let's be honest once again, what in this world encourages you in that regard? I mean, I mean what out there is like, you know, you are a child of God and it's going to be okay. Nothing. There, there's, they are actively trying to crush that and destroy that within you. Therefore, we need these reminders that, wait a minute, it is God who has cleaned, cleaned me. It is God who has set me upon the king's highway. It is God who is progressing me, kicking and screaming some days, pushing me down the king's highway, making sure I get to the goal. If you want a great example of this, uh, read the book of Job again. We were going through this on our Wednesday night uh, men's Bible study. And we've kind of made jokes about this, that Job feels like he's two different guys. There's the guy who is blaming God for every bad thing that has happened to him. And then there's the Job guy that is praising God for who he is and his saving work. And you're like, which one is it? And the answer is yes. It's both because what you're seeing in Job is a sinful man whose flesh is welling up inside of him, spurring him on to a rejection of God. And at the same time, you're seeing the saving work of God literally dragging him across the finish line because Job is going to make it. It's not always pretty but it is always effective. You're seeing an example of that here in the Exodus, is God could have wiped these people out. He hasn't yet, because he's proclaiming his name, he's demonstrating his power, and his kingdom and his people will be built. Verse 17, Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. <sighs> Does the darkness ever get tired of being dark? <laughs> no, unfortunately. That's why the roaches scatter when the lights turn on. And, and, and yes, that's a good example. Isaiah 45, yet again. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Notice that. If you continue to stand against God, where will you be put? To shame. You will be cast out. But his people, Israel, all of those that are his, what will they be? Put to glory. This is not a new idea when Jesus comes around, that there are, is there going to be a division between the sheep and the goats, those on the right and those on the left. This is the biblical, biblical language from the beginning. This is the difference between the sons of Seth and the sons of Cain, those who walked in godliness and those who walked in their flesh in the sin of this world. This has been the description of humanity from the beginning. As I've put this before, there are only 
two categories of people in the world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. And you remember the test, right? <laughs> you remember the test to find out if you're a Neil Diamond person. <laughs> Sweet Caroline. See? See, there you go. All the Neil Diamond people went, I can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> it must be sung. It must. No. <laughs> two types of people. You're in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. Our, uh, our big fancy theological descriptions of this is going back into church history is what they used to say is there is no tertium quid. There's your Latin for the day. There is no third thing. You are either of God or of the enemy. There's no middle path. It's the only thing. Why? Because there is no authority except for God's authority. There is no, well, you know, I'm following after God, but I'm making my own way. There is no own way. Fleetwood Mac had terrible theology. Terrible theology. Say, all right, those of you that know the song, you're on, you're on track. If you don't, don't worry about it. You're a better human being. The only authority is that which is from God. He is the one who grants. He is the one who occupies the throne, and he is the one who will call to account. This is why you have the warnings you have in the New Testament for teachers. What does James tell you? Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Why? Because when I claim to speak and teach authoritatively, I am telling you what God says. You know who better be sure? <laughs> Me! Because I'm literally telling you what God says. And if I'm wrong, woe be upon me. This is why you should vet and know your teachers and know what they're teaching and why they're teaching it, which is again why I tell you, don't just know what you believe, but know why you believe it, because it matters. Verse 18. So, behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, notice who's setting the time frame. God is. A couple of times thus far he said, Pharaoh, when do you want this to happen? No more. I'm doing this. I'm doing it tomorrow at this time. Remember, Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Sitting upon the throne means he is not just God of this earth. He is not just God of the people upon this earth. He is God of time that we use to measure our time upon this earth. He is God and ruler of some things? No, all things. Now, don't miss the trees for the forest here. What else has God given them? Can you see the mercy in this? What's the mercy here? They got a whole day. Like, tomorrow, I am here at the crack of dawn to tell you that tomorrow morning, if you are in the field, you are all going to die. What is that literally saying? Please get out of the field. Get out of the field. Not only have we hit you at the first of the morning so that nothing else will be done, you now can spend the rest of your day doing what? Getting the word out. Because they can't tweet this. They can't put it out on Facebook. So they have to, you know, have to send out people. But they get a whole day to warn it. Look, judgment is coming. Now, you may ask yourself, self, why hail? Of all the things to do, why hail? Newt. 
the Egyptian goddess Newt. It is not just something in a Monty Python sketch. They turned me into a Newt. <laughs> Vern's right there with me. Newt, which is just fun to say. Newt, Newt. Newt is the goddess of the sky and the cosmos. Where does hail come from? Which means, can Newt stop the hail? No. Now, <laughs> agreed. This is just fun. I just have to share this because it makes me wonder, like, what did people smoke before they came up with some of these gods and goddesses? Because there are two possible depictions for the Egyptian goddess of Newt. One is a star-covered nude woman arching her body over the earth. The other is a cow. <laughs> There's probably a joke in there that I will be a grown-up and not make. Who comes, like, there's this great goddess covered in stars protecting the earth, and she's also a cow. Are you okay, dude? Like, seriously, are, are you all right? Because I don't think you are. So we're coming from the sky. We're attacking. We're moving up the pantheon because Newt is big. Newt connects to Ra, to, um, the name just went right out of my head, Osiris, all of these lovely... Uh, beginnings of humanity, protectors of the pharaohs, protectors and guardians of the people. They are now being cast down. Now, therefore, verse 19, so you got a day. We're coming from the sky. Send, bring your livestock, whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down will die. Like, this is not going to hurt a little bit. They are going to die. Like, when the guy who came in and said, water into blood, frogs, gnats, flies, dead cattle, boils. Like, when that guy is standing before Pharaoh and said, get out of the field or you're going to die. Do you think there's somebody in the corner going, I think he might be serious about this. We might want to listen to this lunatic at some point. <laughs> I mean... Think of the stubbornness you must have to have seen all of this, to have the magicians cowering in terror because they can't do anything. Like, they're not even going to bother to show up and argue anymore. The boils just did them in. They're like, I'm out. Peace, yo. You have fun with this. They're done. And yet there are people in Pharaoh's court going, I wonder if he's serious. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Let's wait like two or three more plagues and see what happens. Now, again, this is a warning, but it is also what? Mercy. Mercy on display. Second Peter 3. Do not let this fact escape your notice. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now, time out real quick. I just have to say this almost every time I read this. That is not a math equation, okay? This is not Bible algebra. Please don't be that guy who's like, well, okay, if a thousand years is one day, then that one day is a thousand years. And Jesus is coming back on September 39th of 2014. Yes, that's it. No. Don't be that guy, okay? Too many of those books have been written. You know how many of them have been wrong? All of them. All of them. That was why they had 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. Hmm. And then you know what they did the very next year? 89 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1989. And I think the 89th reason was because we were wrong last year. <sighs> Don't be those people. It's not a math equation. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
Let's make this obvious point, and then let's bring that home. Why did God not wipe out the Egyptians in plague one? Because he's teaching. He's building a kingdom. He is making a point. Maybe a better way to ask this is, why has God not wiped us all out every single day of our lives? See, this, this, is one of, this is one of my favorite quotes because it puts a lot of things in perspective. I think it's a Ruth Graham quote. If it's not, she stole it from somebody, and you can take that up with Ruth whenever you see her. Um, that if God doesn't soon judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are days when you're probably going, you know, I think that lady's on to something. Well, what made the difference? Mercy. God chooses when to apply it. God chooses which nations to spare, which nations to judge, and when to judge them. This is part of the reminder of what goes on. Why are you in Christ? Because this is a trick question because the answer is actually in your Bible. At least the right answer is in your Bible. You may have the wrong answer, in which case we'll cover that later. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? This is why... I am not big on the, the hellfire and brimstone style of teaching and preaching. Because I think it misses the point. You do not come to Christ out of fear. At least you should not. You should come to Christ out of joy, repentance, and love. The kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And here's what I mean by that. Bad news must always precede good news. That is the gospel formula. In order to know that you must repent of your sin, you must first know what? That I have sinned. I must know what it is, where it is, and how it is. I must then know that there is a wrath from God upon how much sin? All of it. That all sin will face judgment. Now, once I know this, I am rightly afraid because you have already proven to me that I have sinned. Now you have just demonstrated that this righteous holy God is going to judge sin, which means he's going to do what? He's going to judge me. I do not like this equation. This is a bad formula for me because I like me and I don't want me to be judged. Then you inform me of what? <gasps> but there is a Savior who has paid the penalty for your sin, and if you would just trust in him, repent of your sins, and walk in faithfulness, he will forgive you of your sins, your penalty will be paid by that Savior, and you will walk in a newness of life. I now recognize what? That there is a kindness from God. The wrath that was due to me, he has taken upon himself. I now see the loving, kind gracious, merciful nature of our God, and I walk in love in him. Not out of fear, but out of gratitude and joy. That's the difference. That is true biblical repentance. It is a right understanding of both aspects of God's nature. When we just hammer God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, we miss justice, and we need it. But when we hammer the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, you know what we miss? Mercy, grace, and love. We need both of them. Now, I'm making this point as big as I am right now because tuck this away in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Well, whatever a few minutes might be. I keep checking that clock like it works. I don't know why. <laughs> but I keep looking at it and thinking, oh, we're, we're going to get moving. So keep this in mind. We will come back. Now, the one, verse 20 and 21, the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the Lord or who feared the word of the Lord, made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. We would call this gentleman smart. <laughs> but he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and livestock in the field. We would call this gentleman, <laughs> this is dumb, what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. 
This is your proof of the difference in the relationship of God. Continue on in Romans at chapter 2. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Now we will come back to this idea because... Notice there's a turn even amongst the Egyptians. Are the Egyptians walking in lockstep against God? No. There are those amongst the Egyptians who are saying, this Moses dude is onto something. This word that he speaks is powerful. And you know what I need to do? I need to be paying attention. So when he says, get your stuff out the field, lest it die, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my stuff out the field, lest it die. Nothing has changed in this lesson nothing. The word still works. The sword of the spirit still cuts. The rock that is Christ still shatters those who disobey. Still, and it will until the kingdom comes. Now, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. We can summarize that very simply. And it was. And it was. God promised. God delivered. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very severe such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field throughout all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Now, we're going to deal with something. Depending on, I didn't check the King James, so you'll, uh, Kelly might have to fill me in because I know she's got one. Um, NIV left out a word that I have read about three times now. Anything jump out at you about that hail? Fire! Like, who puts fire in hail? Like, that's just, that, that's rough, isn't it? Now, your, your NIV glosses over this and just translates it as thunder. I don't know, does the King James throw the fire in there, or they just have the thunder? Okay, so, all right, so the King James got it. Go, King Jimmy. The reason that's done like that is because the NIV is making an assumption about the fire. The, the Hebrew word for fire is fire. So there's fire. Now, we can make some assumptions, and we have to deal with this. There are possibilities. We might have, like, fire fire. Would this be the first time in biblical history up to this point that we have seen fire coming out of the sky? No, Genesis 19. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. That would be kind of a big deal. If God, would wait, if God wants to escalate his judgment in the plagues, do you think fire from heaven might do it? Yeah, I think that would escalate things. Like when somebody starts chucking fireballs at you, you're, they're serious, aren't they? Yeah, usually. 
Exodus 9, remember what's happening. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So is it possible that a hailstorm that has not been seen might include fireballs? I think that would qualify as hail that has not been seen before. I, that would do it for me. Like, I, I mean, I've been in a couple of hailstorms. I've never seen fireballs. Not one time. And if I did, I don't think I'd be hanging around. Like, that, that's those moments where you're like, you know, no, 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 no. I'm out. Stop the world. I want to get off. I want out of this. <laughs> there you go. That, that's just like, yep, yeah, put me on the next rocket. I'm out of here. Now, there is also the possibility the NIV has this right. There is the possibility that this is just a whole lot of thunder, like more than you would normally have in a storm. You have to make your decision which one you prefer. And I say that because I am not going to be dogmatic about this one. If you make me choose, like you, like you twist my arm and, you know, made me say one, I'm going to lean towards the fire side of the argument. Remember the lesson I told you weeks and weeks and weeks ago with Exodus. Do not be dogmatic in places where Exodus is not. But do not fail to be dogmatic in places where Exodus is. There are some ambiguities here, and we have seen these before. We saw this with the... Uh, went right out of my head. The midwives. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Sorry. The midwives. Did they lie to Pharaoh? We think they did, but does Exodus say they lied to Pharaoh? No. We assume that they lied to Pharaoh because the story they came up with is pretty bizarre, but it's possible that it's true, so I'm not going to be dogmatic on that one. Do we know who God was going to kill? Was it Moses? Was it Gershom in Exodus 4? No, we don't. I think it was Gershom, but am I going to be dogmatic on that? No, because Exodus is not. Was this thunder or was this fire? Like, Argh! I don't know. I think it was fire, but am I going to be dogmatic about it? No, because Exodus is not. That's the idea. Half, half of my enjoyment on a Sunday morning is making Becca roll her eyes at my silliness. Now, the reason why I would tell you you have a leg to stand on with lightning is because this would be a big deal as well. Because if you fast forward in the book of Exodus, you get Mount Sinai all in smoke in chapter 19 because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And what usually precedes the thunder? There you go. So, pick one, just know why you picked it, and be able to defend it. That's all I ask. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen where the sons of Israel were was there no hail. You knew this was coming, right? You knew this was coming. Now, just be Israel for like five minutes. Goshen is not an island. It is not separated out from Egypt. It's in the midst of northeastern Egypt. So there is Egypt on every single side of Goshen. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see fiery hailstorms as being sunny affairs that you want to go picnic in, do you? No, which means if you're in Israel, in Goshen, and you look out, what are you looking at? <laughs> like, how trippy would this be? Like, is it sunny here, or are there clouds here? There's just no hail and fire? Or do we get sunshine and they get the darkness? And the, I, I have no idea. But put yourself in this position because God is demonstrating himself not just to the Egyptians, but to the Israelites as well. Like, these are the questions I wonder. Like, could you walk up to the border, and like, there's no hail here, but you're looking at it right over there? <laughs> and if your moronic self stepped over the border, you would die? I mean, these are the things that I think about and wonder about because this is what Israel is living in. This is what, you're welcome, you're welcome. 
Because you need to, because Israel is being shown the power of God as well, which means they know it's not like they just drive through the aftermath. They are witnessing it in real time. Why? This is why the songbook of Israel makes sense like it does. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, he who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. The other reason I point this out and ask these questions is, remember, dumb question of the day, where is Israel when this is going on? Are they in or out of Egypt? They are still in Egypt. Remember that. It will become important in about three verses. All right. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. Ooh, that's new. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. All right. Who here hopes he means it? Like, I do. We all want him to mean it. How, do we, how are we going to know? Let's examine the fruit, starting with what? No, before his actions, his words, because they matter. Verse 28. Make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. That, that's not good. Why is Pharaoh saying what he's saying? Because he has seen the kindness and mercy of God? No, because he's seen what? He has seen the wrath of God. He is afraid, and he should be. But all those times that I've pointed out the mercy of God in this, has Pharaoh seen any of it? No, he has not. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is a good lesson on true and false repentance because true repentance leads to true salvation. Salvation does not come from a desire for the thunder to stop. Salvation comes from the desire and the ability to stand firm in the midst of the thunder as it is happening. It is the difference between Pharaoh and his fear and Israel in their amazement. That's why I asked you, what would it look like for Israel? Ha. I mean, would you be standing in your yard like, whoa. Like your inner Keanu Reeves just came out, whoa. Because that's an amazement at the work of God. That is a trust in his provision that should be in all of his people. This is not true repentance. This is, all right, all right, all right, enough hail, enough fire. I'm done, I'm done, go, get out. This is fear. This is worry. True repentance strengthens you to stand firm in the midst of difficulties. Christian, welcome to your world. Welcome to your world. Israel is still in Egypt. They are still in their captivity. They have not yet been delivered, and who are they called to trust in? They are called to trust in God and trust what he has promised them. Christian, you are still walking in a sinful world that does not like you, does not support you, and does not wish for you to prosper, and yet you are still called to do what? Trust in God and walk faithfully, knowing that his promises will come to pass. These are part of the lessons that you get from Exodus. These are part of the lessons that God has been showing to his people, not just now, but since the beginning. And here's the other thing. Two categories of people. Do those two categories exist amongst the Egyptians? 
Because some of them did what? Some of them brought their stuff in the house. Did hail fall on their house? Yes. Were they terrified? Yes. Can God still save them in the midst of that? Yes. That's the difference between a true conversion and a false conversion. Christian, check your heart. Check your heart. If it is full of fear and terror at the wrath of God, then you have not walked far enough. You have not crossed the bridge you need to cross to get to God and understand his mercy, his grace, and his love provided and proven for you in Christ. He has died for sin and calls sinners to himself in grace, mercy, and love if they would repent and trust in him. And when you see that goodness and you see that love, then you see the darkness around you and you do not fear because you can walk faithfully because his spirit will empower you to do so. That's the difference between false and true conversion with God. Now, more mercy, quickly, because we got a late start today. So, The flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined, for they ripened late. So, here you go. Are all the crops of Egypt wiped out? No! Why not? Because God has not yet decided to crush the Egyptians. Therefore, he provides them with what? There is still hope. There is still future. Now, if you continue in your sin, will your hope save you? No. The hope should be in God, in God alone. So Moses went out from the city, went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased. The rain no longer poured on the earth, but when the Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail had ceased, I'm sorry, the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. See, if you want to see an example of when I talk about false conversion, Jesus explains this in the New Testament. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries, riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is why we test spirits. Four seeds sown in the soil, one makes it to the end. Just one. Three types die out before they get there. Three are lost, one is saved. This is why words matter. This is why actions matter. But you know what's better than words and actions? Lifetimes. Lifetimes matter. This is why I say, well, examine Pharaoh's words. Examine his actions. We should. What marks the measure of a man? Now? The next five minutes? No. The end of his days. That's why Jesus reminds you, who will be saved? He who perseveres to the end. This is a warning, and this is also an encouragement. See, it's a warning because if you are not walking faithfully, what are you being told? That you should fear, and you should tremble, and you need to get right with God. But it's also an encouragement because if you've had a bad five minutes, a bad ten years, is that what defines you as a person? No. It is Christ that defines you. 
And as long as there is breath, there is hope. As long as there is proclamation, there is salvation. The kingdom has not been finalized. How do I know that? Because it's not here yet. And what do I know is coming? The kingdom. There is coming a day when it will be finalized, and then it will be too late. But until then, it is not. Do not define yourself by the last six months. Do not define yourself by the last six years. Define yourself by a faithful lifetime walking after Christ. That goes for whether you're the young ones in the corner or the ones that went next door, or you're in the middle group like me, or you're at the ones completing your journey. The prayer is to finish well and to walk well. When do I affect that? When can I change my walk? There it is. Can I change yesterday's walk? No. Can I change tomorrow's walk? I can, but only by changing which walk? Today's. I change where and how I walk now. This is why we test the spirits, Christian. This is why we need the unity of the body and the people of God together. Who is going to look and go, you know, Dave was right here. Where'd he go? <laughs> Where'd he go? Is the world wallowing in the ditch going to go, Dave, you don't belong here. You should be up on the highway. No, they're going to be like, ah, we got another one. And if you don't know that song, once again, you are a better human being. You are blessed and we are good. See, this is why we have to see all the aspects of God. Do you understand how, how we need both the wrath and the judgment as well as the mercy and the grace to make sense? They have to go together. And this is, believe it or not, <coughs> excuse me, the one real danger in going through a book like we do. Because you miss stuff. You take vacation, you sleep in and you miss a service, you get sick or there's a global pandemic and you miss a couple of weeks, and you miss things. If you remember, how many of you for chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 were like, okay, dude, if you mention the judgment of God and the sovereignty of him ruling on his throne one more time, I'm going to throw something at you. Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it felt like that every week. If you remember back, and if you didn't, they're all on YouTube. Have fun. Watch them. It'll be good for you. It felt like that. Have you noticed, though, as the plagues have picked up and we're talking more and more about the judgment of God, what else have we been highlighting? The mercy, the grace of God. The righteous judge is the loving, merciful Savior. And you know who needs that each and every day? I do. You do. A lost world does. They need to understand, just like we need to understand, that there is a wrath of God against sin. But in Christ, there is a loving Savior who has taken that wrath out of the way. This is our proclamation to ourselves because it is the proclamation to the world. This is how we grow in our faith and how we explain our faith. This is how we judge the work of the world, how we proclaim goodness and rightness in a world that does not see goodness and right. This is how we see and walk rightly. If we miss it, we don't just miss a little bit. We, we miss all of it. We miss everything. We've lost the kingdom. We've misunderstood our calling, and we've tripped and fallen into the ditch. But the kingdom hasn't come yet, which means we can rightly today see the judgment of God, see the mercy that is provided, and walk correctly on his road. Seeing the thunder, seeing the hail, seeing the fire, and knowing that we are preserved and persevere because we are in him. If we're not persevering, we are not walking in faith. Change that. 
If we are seeing those by walking with us falling to the side, it's because they are not walking in faith. We work to change that by proclaiming his truth, proclaiming his mercy, and living out faithful lives. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you are doing and the work that you have done, that you have brought together your people for your kingdom, that you have made us one in Christ, that which we do not do and do not understand you have accomplished, that you have provided us with a means and a help and an encouragement that we so desperately need. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would would power that, that we would walk in unison, working in your kingdom, walking toward your completion, knowing that your wrath is upon sin. But Lord, in Christ, we are clear. In Christ, we are clean. And by Christ's mercy and grace, we will persevere to the end. And we ask you to strengthen us for that work each and every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my death to be from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky lord i lift your name on high lord i lift your name on high Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death to be. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on A couple quick reminders. Um, Remember Mike and his family, just uh, keep them in prayers. Remember 80 also. I haven't mentioned this the last couple of weeks because we're a few weeks removed from Vi's funeral, but keep 80 in your prayers as well. That's, I mean, 63 years. It's a long time. You don't just, I'm I'm good this week. I mean, we know he knows and we know where Vi is, but at the same token, remember him in your prayers as you go through. Uh, Oh, being waved at. Hold on. What is it? What did I forget? Jerry, Jerry in the same boat with Sue passing away a few months ago. So yeah, remember Jerry also? And yes, by all means, 
Thank you for the reminder. All right. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, strengthen us that we would know you, love you, trust you, and serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.